The Irish Times Inside Politics podcast is going to be holding another live event. This one is in central Dublin on Thursday, May the 16th at 8am. We are going to be in Medley in Dublin too. We only have a few tickets left, so if you want to join me in conversation with head of Ipsos polling in the US, Cliff Young, along with Pat Leahy and Jennifer Bray, looking at the polling in Ireland in the run-up to the European and local elections, just go to irishtimes.com events where you can get your tickets. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. It's Thursday, August the 29th, and you're very welcome to the Inside Politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. Yesterday, Boris Johnson surprised and shocked his opponents when he announced that uh, the Parliament at Westminster will be prorogued for five weeks between the second week in September and mid-October, with with only two months to go before the UK's planned exit from the EU on October the 31st. The move has been attacked as anti-democratic, but what is actually likely to happen now as British politicians prepare to return to Westminster for a few short days next week? To discuss this, I'm joined in studio by our political editor, Pat Lee, and on the line by The Guardian's Brexit correspondent, Lisa O'Carroll. Lisa, I think we're still in the dust-settling phase after uh, the shock announcement yesterday about the prorogation of Parliament. But is it any clearer this morning than it was uh, late last night as to how events are likely to uh, turn out over the next uh, seven to ten days now? Yeah, I think um, people have absorbed the shock by now. And the focus very much is in how to stop it among the what they're calling the Remain resistance in Parliament, which is the obvious parties, uh, Labour, SNP, um, and some rebel Tory MPs. So the focus is now on what they can do, not just next week on the 3rd, where there are a number of options um, they have. They, they um, return to Parliament next Tuesday, and they will be in Parliament for um, six or more days before uh, Parliament is prorogued. But um, I think maybe we can come back to this later, but I think the, the, the real question is, what is the strategy? Yes, tactically, it was a bit of a blinder. He took Labour by surprise just uh, hours after they seemed to have um, a coalition of um, parties ready to um, come up with a, you know, an, a government of national unity in the event of a no-confidence vote. So I think the real question is, A, is there going to be a deal? Is there going to be no deal? Is there going to be an election? And when will that be? Pat, uh, yesterday and again in today's newspaper, in today's Irish Times, you talk about really uh, that Boris Johnson has set up a situation where there are two potential outcomes, both of which he might not be too unhappy with. And one is that he's shortened the parliamentary timetable to stymie some of the moves which were afoot uh, to enact legislation preventing a no deal. Um, And the other one is that he's forced the hands, as Lisa says, possibly 
of the uh, of the opposition to, uh, into a confidence vote, uh, therefore catapulting him or giving him the opportunity for an election which he'd be happy enough to take. Yeah, I've thought since he became Prime Minister that Boris Johnson is angling for an early election and I think that is in his interests because he cannot really do anything without a parliamentary majority. Uh, and, and no deal with a, a bare majority of one and effectively no majority uh, at the moment. I think that a no deal Brexit would, and the effects of a no deal Brexit would destroy his government. But he's not strong enough in Parliament to do a deal. So effectively, uh, you know, I think the end is in sight for Boris Johnson's government anyway. So I think what he's trying to do is to get ahead of that and to have an early election, probably before Brexit, in which almost certainly, I think, before Brexit, in which he can run as the man to deliver Brexit, deal or no deal. He has to make that election about Brexit. And I think what he was doing yesterday is trying to shut off or at least narrow the opportunity for people to legislate against a no-deal Brexit and instead force them into a no-confidence motion. Yes, because Lisa, he did manage to seize the day there, didn't he? As you said, you know, this um, the, the the rebel MPs had come together. There was a plan coming into place, but now that plan is in is in deep jeopardy now, and they might need to go back to the drawing board on that plan. Yeah, it is in deep jeopardy. However, um, I think um, you know the decision tree that Dominic Cummings has done. Obviously, we haven't seen it. But, you know, the options that um, you're looking at now, the flowcharts for if this happens, what happens, if that happens, what happens. I think we are absolutely in, we are not in a, in a situation where there is a guarantee of a deal or no deal. And there is, there is no confidence, really, that there will be an election before October the 31st. Because if he did that, then he's still got his, his real opposition, for the, you know, the opposition for the Tory party, which is the Brexit party, and the ERG, who have been making noises this week, the likes of Ian Duncan Smith, who wrote in the Telegraph on Monday that it wasn't just the backstop that was a problem, that there were other issues, like the direct effect of European law, which allows British courts to um, uh, take reference from European case law in order to make their decisions. So that, I thought that was really interesting, and that was like a, a warning shot across Boris Johnson's bows that it's not just the backstop, this withdrawal agreement is absolutely dead. And Marc Francois, the deputy chairman of the ERG, was on TV last night saying the same thing. Also, there's uh, an issue with this idea of a government of national unity. Joe Swinson, the new head of the um, Liberal Democrats, was at pains to avoid answering a question by Kirsty Ward last night on Newsnight over whether she would support Jeremy Corbyn as a leader of a, um, a potential government in the, in the event of a vote of no confidence in Boris Johnson next week. Um, so, you know, whichever way you look, there are no obvious, there are no obvious victories for anybody here. Tactically, Boris Johnson was a winner yesterday, but strategically, I think we still don't know where we're going. But isn't there, won't there have to be huge pressure on on Joe Swinson and some of the other non-Labour people if the government of national unity, they really got to find another name for that, by the way, but if, if that were to be formed specifically as a caretaker government for four weeks, purely to ask for an extension to Article 50 uh, in order to hold a general election in November. So um, doesn't Joe Swinson essentially have to go along with that? Let's Jeremy Corbyn in for four weeks. He's not going to be well, doing anything. He's not going to be enacting, you know, his, his entire programme, you know, the Labour's, Labour's programme for government or anything. 
Well, he is, he, is, he is the person who can carry most MPs with him, but he's not necessarily the person who can carry all Remain MPs with him. Let's not forget, as we keep saying, there, are leave, um, there is a large Leave constituency within the Labour Party, some of them who we know are prepared to vote with the Tories, for example, Kate Hoey, um, uh, Frank Field, etc., um, so, yeah, I think also to pick up on Pat's point that, you know, Boris Johnson has forced them into a, a vote of no confidence, the thinking before yesterday was that a vote of no confidence, vote of confidence, um, next week was too early. You really, in order to get the rebel Tories on side, you need to take it right down to the wire. So the thinking was that that vote of no confidence would happen after um, the summit in October. Um, so, you know, I don't know where we're going. It's... Um, but in a way, Boris Johnson has forced that issue, hasn't he? And he's, he's, he's brought that, 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 that item up the agenda into September, at least to some extent. And Pat, can I just ask you to respond to what Lisa was saying there? Because I think there's a difference of opinion there. I mean, let us take, you know, uh, I'd say Dominic Cummins' uh, decision tree would be a very interesting thing to see. I'd love to see it myself. But, you know, let us take that there is a, uh, he loses a vote of confidence, he goes to the country... It's a very moot point about whether he gets that larger majority, which would be his objective, although in some ways he's he's better set up to do it than, than some might think. But even if he gets there, as Lisa says, he still has the ERG on his back. He still has a, a significant rump of his own parliamentary party whose preferred option is no deal. Uh, absolutely, 100%, you're right. But Boris Johnson doesn't have to believe that this is a really good time for him to have an election in order to pursue that path. He just has to believe that it is better now than the available alternatives. And it seems to me that if, if, if I'm right, and I think I am, that a no deal would destroy his government and he doesn't have the strength to do, uh, to do a deal because of the presence of the uh, ERG on the current, and the current parliamentary numbers, then he has to want to change those uh, those parliamentary numbers. Whatever he is going to do, does he is he really prepared to do uh, a no deal? Seems to me he probably is. Does he want it? Uh, he says not. Perhaps he does. But whatever he wants to do, he needs a parliamentary on Brexit. He needs a parliamentary majority uh, to do it. I think, and I think that is what um, I think that is what he is manoeuvring towards. He is. I mean, some polls suggest he's in a reasonably strong position. Uh, he would fight that election as the man to deliver Brexit, deal or no deal, and coming back with a majority, he could have. I mean, it's a gamble. All elections are gamble uh, are, are, are gambles. But Johnson is a bit of a gambler, and uh, he. I mean, I wrote, wrote in my piece today that in his biography of uh, his his book about Churchill, which I reread over the summer, he makes the point that all politicians are gamblers with events. And uh, I think the thing about that book is it it tells you a lot more about Boris than it does about uh, Churchill. But, um, uh, you know, I, I, I I think before Brexit is probably a better time for him to have an election than any of the available alternatives and it seems to me, if, if, if that is correct, then I think that explains what he's at. And yet, Lisa, some of the noises we were hearing yesterday coming out of the, the government were that if an election were to take place, it might take place after Brexit on something like the, the 4th or the 5th Absolutely. of November. So what's your read yeah. on that? 
So the read on that is that, yes, he goes to up to the 17th of October, so Parliament comes back on the 14th of October. They've got very little chance to decide anything um, uh, because he will have to open. The first day will have to be the Queen's speech, and then you have two or three days debate of um, on that Queen's speech and all the legislation he's promising the public. So then you go to the Thursday, Friday of that week where um, the European sub- Summit is held. I think it's highly unlikely that um, a deal can be struck by then. I, I, I think commentators yesterday are, who were talking about him coming back with the deal are delusional because the EU have already said that they will not, and particularly Angela Merkel have said that they will not countenance doing a deal that they are, are not confident has a mandate or can get ratified in Parliament. So we've got to bear that in mind. So I think the, there are a lot of people here talking, talking about how no deal suits his purposes. So he comes goes beyond October the 17th, comes away with no deal, calls an election, not necessarily before the 31st, but says, you know, we know that Dominic Cummins' sort of mantra is now people versus the politics, that they will go to, he's the man who came up with the take back control slogan for the vote leave campaign, so his slogan is going to be people versus politics, and that they believe that is the way to extinguish the Brexit party and the ERG. And I was talking to somebody here yesterday who thought, actually, a no-deal scenario for him, a March general election is, is a possibility, that a no-deal, obviously there will be chaos, but they get through the first two months, they take the, take, um, take the, the knocks, um, let's not forget that the Tory party people individually are not going to be affected much by Brexit. Um, uh, they go through the, the, um, to the better, elect- better weather in, in March and say, guys, look, Dunkirk spirit, we did it, it's all right. The world has, you know, the sky hasn't fallen, fallen in. We've got our deal with Trump. We've got this. We've got that. Vote for us and get the majority that way. That is another. Um, I think that's a, another that, view. That, I think that's quite a plausible scenario, uh, to be honest. And maybe maybe that's what ends up happening. But it 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 requires his government, which has no majority, to survive the aftermath of a No Deal Brexit. And I'm not sure that that is likely. But that's a huge unknown still for all of us as to what, how exactly that's likely to pan out. Is it going to be two weeks of chaos followed by a kind of a stable thing with certain irritations and, you know, some economic downturns, but things that, uh, that the Tory government can swallow and, and still win an election in March? And there are lots and lots of unknowns in that, in that scenario, aren't there? Um, something um, which Fiak mentioned in our, our last podcast, the, the one unknown is civil unrest. Mm-hmm. And you know, we had David Lamy and uh, Clive Lewis, both prominent Labour um, backbenchers, who said that they would take part in civil resistance. And last night, in, in, uh, you know, in a matter of hours, something like 10 thousand people gathered outside Westminster in protest against the prorogation. There's another protest to be held on Saturday. We'll see what coalesces around this in terms of um, in terms of protests. But you know, we could be heading towards a sort of pro-tax scenario back in, in the 80s when I think were, that's I think that's quite I think that's quite likely. I think you'll have massive numbers of people uh, de- demonstrating on this. But you know, to to flick it forward then to what happens in a no deal scenario where you have that sort of dynamic on the streets added to the very real possibility of food and medicine shortages or at least shortages of some kinds of food and medicines, transport chaos and all the sort of things that the British government's own civil servants have warned them about. And I'm just not sure that... Uh, you know, Boris Johnson is ready to risk that before an election. He may be willing to risk it after an election when he has a bulletproof 
Commons majority and a four or five year term ahead of him. But at the very end of a government and a parliament that is hanging on by its fingernails, I'm not sure. I think we're all guessing about Dominic Cummings' decision tree here. But Lisa, let me let me ask you something slightly different. Um, this is a bold move, I think it's fair to say, by, by Boris Johnson and his government yesterday. And at the very least, it's given them, people have noted it as first mover advantage. There's a sense of energy. It contrasts very strongly with, you know, the, the scourging of Theresa May over, over 24 months or so, which, which, which happened. But may he have done something which otherwise would have been impossible I mean, you talk about mobilisation on the streets and civil unrest, but may he also have brought together the opposition in a way that didn't happen previously, that that they may overcome their differences because he's put the, put it up to them so much and injected a sense of drama and action and all those kinds of things into it. Well, there was a view maybe at the end of July when he got selected as the leader of the Tory party that maybe he was the man to, as you say, bring a new energy and excitement to um, Brexit and that... That, that you know his his um, command of the English language and wit is so great that he would, by a, you know sleight of hand, kind of trick the ERG into um, uh, getting um, May's deal across the line. In fact, this brings up another interesting point. Um, you, you know the the withdrawal um, agreement bill, which was rejected three times by. Parliament, in which when you know John Burkow said Theresa May couldn't keep bringing back a dud bill, when you've got a new prime minister, he technically, when he comes back after October the 14th, has also got that option to to bring back Theresa May's deal. Unlikely, but he has that option. Um, it would be very hard for him to do that, given everything that he said over the last six weeks, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I think I think there was you, you know this this view that he would re-energise the party and, and uh, bring about a Brexit at the end of July. Um, that idea quickly evaporated in August when um, he he pivoted completely towards no deal. So Brexit became no deal, uh, you know, in August. And I think. Um, we can't, we can't, that can't be reversed at the moment. Yeah, one of the things I wonder about that as well, can I ask you this because you are obviously, you're there in London. I mean, observing the coverage of, you know, what happened last week with Johnson's trips to uh, to Berlin and to Paris and to, the, and to the G7 and the reporting of those in the British press and the general noise around a sense that they had gone relatively well and also it was suggested, particularly in the Tory press, that there were chinks of light uh, in perhaps in the, in the EU's approach. And a Complete disjunction there between what you were seeing in the European press and what we were hearing back from our contacts in Europe. Um, Is there a kind of a disconnect to reality? Because we've seen that before. I mean, going way back, the BBC's excellent series about the, you know, the road to Brexit. Uh, There was a kind of recurring theme there of David Cameron and other people trotting off to Europe, coming back, you know, thinking that they'd secured a breakthrough and then clearly not having done it. Are we in that kind of area again? Oh, that has been the characteristic of the last past, the past three years, hasn't it? You know, mm. and at the pinnacle of that is Theresa May, who came back in October with a with a massive compromise last year from um, the European Commission, which was a UK-wide customs arrangement um, instead of a Northern Ireland only backstop. Um, and she, nobody knew about it. She didn't sell it. She couldn't communicate it. But yes, to come back to the media coverage, yes, there is a massive disconnect between coverage in the UK and coverage outside, and there is an absolute deafness to the idea that there are two sides, absolute definite that there are two sides in any negotiation. So it was extraordinary and bewildering to see on Monday how some of the British papers here reported what happened in Biarritz. And it seemed like 
this idea that the EU were softening and finally coming round to Boris Johnson's view was based on one EU official who, who said something along the lines is, yes, we're quite surprised. Boris Johnson is, you know, he's diligent, he's, he's impressed us, and um, we are willing to listen. That combined with that kind of misinterpreted throwaway remark by Angela Merkel um, over a 30-day deadline to come back with, with a backstop proposal. There's, there's kind of a, a willfulness about the British press that, you know, neither of those two things on their own could be constituted in Ireland or anybody else, not the Guardian, as a, a change of um, a position in the EU, because we know there hasn't been a change of position. And if there is, well, that's going to be a scoop. And that's going to be a scoop from, from Brussels. Um, it's not going to be from the, bu- the, the bubble in Westminster that travels with the Prime Minister everywhere they go. But the, the, I think there's almost a kind of willful ignorance about some of it. Mm. I mean, you know, there's a, you know, over generations, you know, this isn't a recent phenomenon, but over generations, there has been a mutual incomprehension between the EU and the British. That's part of the whole problem that has brought us to where we are. But I think in a sort of a hyper-partisan atmosphere on Brexit, much of the, the, the presentation to the British people in, in, in papers like uh, The Telegraph, their, uh, your editor Peter Foster being an honourable exception, uh, The Mail, The Express, The Sun, is, is, is wholly misleading. And there's a kind of invincible ignorance amongst many Tory politicians about the basics, not just of how the EU works, but on the basic details of the withdrawal agreement and the alternatives and so forth. My 13-year-old daughter rang me last night while I was working on this stuff because she had to do something on the backstop for her homework. And so I explained it to her in fairly simple terms over about five minutes. And after I quizzed her on it then, I said, congratulations, you now know more about the backstop than 95% of Tory politicians. And I wasn't joking. (laughs) Yeah. I, 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 I take your point. I would say that, the, you know, there are exceptions that Jacob Rees-Mogg um, has said he has read the withdrawal agreement. There are lots of people who have had advisors who have read the key sections. Um, you know, but I, I think what your point about the, the press is that that is delivering a very skewed view of Britain's Britain's um, position in Europe and the negotiations um, to the wider public. For instance, this week, um, David Frost, the new, you know, the replacement to Ollie Robbins was going, was, was going to Brussels yesterday, and that was dressed up as negotiations are reopening. Um, you know, we were almost on the verge of reports that the withdrawal agreement was going to be reopened um, and renegotiated. And then, of course, we, uh, you know, we're back to square one with the, with the news yesterday morning about the prorogation of Parliament. So that quickly receded as a, as a, as a narrative for the day. But that's the territory we're in. Um, and, 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 I, and I suppose, you know, uh, the same media could have a very, very significant impact on the outcome of the election because they represent the majority, certainly of, certainly of the print media in the UK. Yeah, they do. But, but, but you've got to remember also that the Daily Mail's editor has changed, which is very significant. Do you remember the Daily Mail, the paper that was edited by Paul Dacre for decades, um, which was very, very anti-EU, pro-Brexit, and was uh, really vituperative in its approach to anybody who disagreed with his his view, including um, judges in the High Court um, who ruled in favour of Gina Miller, and he called them enemies of the people and went... 
um, and commissioned lots of uh, very personal um, uh, profiles of of the judges in question, which was which which, which, which did not go down well. Um, but he's he's gone. So the Daily Mail is slightly different, and the Telegraph mm. is obviously very pro Brexit. The Times is kind of um, uh, you know a bit like the, the uh, FT and ourselves, not as remain as ourselves, but uh, quite sceptical. Um, and then the Independent is the Independent, um, and the Express also has been uh, is now owned by the company that owns the Daily Mirror, which is a left-leaning paper that has a large um, readership in northern constituencies, including Leave constituencies. But it's a working-class paper. So, so that's quite a significant change over, yeah, overall. That, 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 I mean, that is an interesting point, Lisa. I know you're, you're going to need to go. I just want to ask you very quickly. Um, this is a very narrow window next week. I mean, if the proroguing, prorogation, I need to get all my uh, different participles and things sorted out around around this 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 new and attractive verb. Um, if it happens, it's only it only gives a window of three or four days next week. So whatever happens does, has yeah, to be so what fast thinking, and dramatic. What thinking is now is that they will watch out for this phrase SO24, standing over Order 24, that um, the Remainer Alliance will come into Parliament next Tuesday with probably the, the backing in spirit, if not... Um, um, in person of John Burkow and uh, try and get some emergency legislation um, on the statute books to stop this. Um, they um, can, under the SO24 rules, get a debate going, an emergency debate. It's not generally um, uh, something that leads to a binding vote, but um, there is a view that John Burkow might tear up the rule book and give them a, a binding vote. And who knows, I think, you know, ev- everything is to play for next, next week. All right, Lisa, listen, thanks very much for joining us. We'll, we'll let you go. Thank you. I suppose, Pat, from the point of view of the, the Irish government and indeed of the EU, all of this chaos and drama and everything means that they don't do anything, do they? They, just, they don't necessarily sit back, but there's no, there's no reason to do anything except observe how all this unfolds. If you can sit back and at the same time be at the edge of your seat... I think that is the position that, uh, that that they will be adopting over the coming over the coming weeks. I think there was a general acceptance in both in in Brussels and in EU capitals and certainly in Dublin that they had to wait until events at Westminster resolved themselves one way or another. I mean, before yesterday happened, it was clear that Boris Johnson was going to face uh, a parliamentary challenge next week and and probably the week after, and they would have to wait and see what the outcome of that was. Now, yesterday's move by Johnson has accelerated the timetable and rewritten the rules a little bit of that showdown. But it's still the showdown at Westminster as British politics decides what it's going to do um, as Johnson tests his strength against the Remain, uh, the, the Remain Alliance, uh, or however, however you want to term them. And that has to happen first. When that resolves itself, you will either have, uh, you know, a weakened Johnson heading for an election. You will have had an election. You will have, or he has won an election, or he has defeated the rebels in Parliament. And it's at that stage that he will ask for a change to the withdrawal agreement. That will be either a... Uh, that would be either a realistic ask, in which case that he can deliver in Parliament, in which case the EU will and uh, will engage with it, or it won't be a realistic ask, or he can't deliver it in uh, in in Parliament, and the EU won't really engage with it. If it is the former, then there is a chance of avoiding a no deal. If it is the latter, then there isn't. But 
we'll have to wait and see what happens in Westminster before we know which way it's going to go. And it's only 25 months or so ago that Theresa May looked an absolute shoe-in for an increased majority. The Labour Party was in disarray. She was expecting to be coming back to Westminster with a majority of 100. And it all fell apart in the space of three or four weeks, a political campaign. A, any election campaign, even even in, a, in normal times, and these aren't normal times, is incredibly unpredictable, isn't it? So this is a major gamble. Oh, absolutely, um, yeah, it is a gamble. If I'm right and he's going for an election, then he's staking everything, staking his premiership uh, on it. But the alternative for him, it seems to me, is probably less attractive. So it's a logical gamble? I think it is. And let me ask you just one last question. And taking into account the fact that these decisions are going to have a profound impact on people's lives. And in fact, you know, you know, some predictions are that they'll have a very negative impact immediately on people's quality of life and the economy and perhaps even, even you know, important services. But there is an element of the great game about this as well. And as a political analyst and somebody who writes about politics, do you, is there a part of you that looks at this and admires the, uh, the boldness, the boldness of the move? Well, I won't say I ad- admire it. I'll try and keep my personal likes and dislikes out of uh, out of what passes for my analysis of it. How successfully I do that, or other otherwise, I suppose, for readers and 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 listeners to judge. But I think looking at it as dispassionately I can as I can, it's certainly clear that Johnson has seized the initiative since he became Prime Minister. He is driving things forward, pursuing his agenda in a way that Theresa May wouldn't or couldn't. Yesterday's move was, you know, at one level, completely outrageous, suspending Parliament for five weeks. But it's also an extremely bold move. And I think what he is trying to do is to shape events to his advantage. And... You know, for all the seriousness of it, there's a part of it that is kind of thrilling to watch as well. Stay tuned. Pat, thanks for joining us. And that's it for today. Thanks to our producer, Jennifer Ryan, and engineer, JJ Vernon. Reminder that you can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, and on Acast. You can mail me with your views, which are always very welcome, at hlinahunt.irishtimes.com, or you can usually find me pretty easily on Twitter. But until the next time, thanks for listening. 